This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Sports and Orsal. God dang it. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. And Sports and Ortho is a physical therapy and uh, sports medicine clinic where you can go get direct access to uh, physical therapists and and a primary physician actually they have over there too. Um, well, they're privately owned. They're not some goofy corporation. And I can speak for experience that the ownership, uh, Dahlia, especially of Sports and Ortho, uh, amazing generosity for us and our department and departments. Uh, Seeking out help too, uh, right? It's just her generosity is unbelievable. And I know they're big on they're big on one on one appointments. You know, they're they're huge where you're not just going to go in and um, and meet with a random person or meet with a group of people like yeah. it's. Dahlia said that ninety percent of her clientele are CFD CPD. So she understands the process. You don't need a doctor's note to use them. It's covered under our city policy. You can request them if you're being sent to physical therapy and you wanna go uh, to Sports and Ortho. There's always one by any one of our houses uh, for city employees. There's numerous locations everywhere. So there's always gonna be one close to you. Yeah, they're all around the Chicagoland area. Yeah, so give them a call or visit them at sportsandortho.net and uh, they'll, they'll get you fixed up. Yep, yeah. I had a lot of buttons to put. What are you looking for now, Colin? They're right there. Oh. All right. So while Corey's looking for coasters in a studio that he does own, and I can assure you that he does, uh, welcome back to Chicago's Bravest Stories. We are here. I say special guest, but this disqualifies. Right, yeah, Greg? Right on. This special guest, very Greg. Special Baggins, guest. Very special guest. And I appreciate being called special. <laughs> Well, we, we've been trying to work this out for a while. Yes. And we finally got you into the studio. So Perfect thank you for being here. Perfect timing, oh, thanks too. for having and me. it is snowing like a mother out there, huh? Yes, it, it is. It is coming down now, so we may have to shelter in place. There you go. It, it looks like the photos of January in Chicago. Well. <laughs> like, I'm just driving into this. Well, let me mountains. tell you, boys, if we have to shelter in place. Yes. I got well, the supplies. We, <laughs> I got the supplies. That may be, well. The second special guest here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we'll just, you know, let the there, listeners There has figure been that some out. big news since our last podcast. And we can let the listeners okay. uh, kind of figure that one out right. as we go along. You sure? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get into why we have Greg here. Introducing Greg Baghdad, who wrote a book that he's going to tell us all about. And I don't, if for anybody who's been paying attention to this podcast lately... We have really gone out of our way to bring attention to mental health and mental awareness. Well, at first we didn't. We didn't because we, we it, were ignorant. Right. And it just like kind of came up organically all the time. And it was like it, these. It kept coming up over yeah. and over. And we'd and have like these again. big tough guy firemen and we would never expect them to start talking about it. And next thing you know, they're like, you know, make sure you're looking out for each other. And, you know. Ironically, it was our own mental health. That brought about <laughs> 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 the lack thereof. Yeah. So, Greg, you you're a 
you're a crossover with the department. That's correct. And how many years do you have on? So I'm in my 22nd year. 22nd. Yes. God dang. Yes. KMA. <laughs> you're in the club, huh? I mean, well, the real club is when I turn 50. Yeah. So. Yeah, because then you can just walk away. That's right. But before we get there, how did you get involved in the fire service? Well. Um, no family, anything like no, that? No, no family whatsoever. Um, basically, I started... Um, in 1996 on the Long Grove Fire Protection District. Um, I'm going to take you back a little bit further. Um, I grew up uh, with a Tourette syndrome diagnosis. For you? Uh, for me. Oh, wow. Which I don't know if you know what that is. It's the central nervous system disorder where you have tics. And I've known you for a while. I've never... It's very controlled with medication. Um, and so I really don't have as many ticks as you would see. Are you still um, on that medication? Yes, yes. Really? It's a heavy-duty medicine. If, so if you own. don't do it, you could just run around. Are your ticks, like, that bad where you, like, motherfuck people? And So that's called corporalalia, and I do have grunts and whatnot, but it's not pr- prominent. I don't actually have the swear. And actually, it, this is the tie-in. This is a good tie-in for the Chicago Fire Department is I was – I got called August 1st, 2001 to um, – um, actually, I got called in May 1st for the class in 2001. And, you know, they you report to the academy, and they uh, day one, they called my name. They said, candidate paramedic Greg Baghdad, stand up. And I, I snapped to attention, and I said, sir, yes, sir. And he said, okay, you're dismissed. Really? And I was like, shit. They just... They would say it. anything. Just... And I said, what do I do? What, is there a reason why? You have, to re- you have to talk to medical. So I said, what happened? Am I going to die? Do I have cancer? What's <laughs> right. going on? Right. Do I have a heart problem? What's going on? They said, you're just going to have to talk to medical. But you previously, previously before that, passed everything, passed everything to the point that you were able to walk through the door day one. Correct. So I, went, I finally got a letter from medical, and they said to me, um, we're basically afraid of your Tourette's. We're afraid that you're going to say some bad words wow. on the street. So I had to go back to my previous employer Just from stereotypes of stereotypes of it, the, the media and, you know. and these Wait, are who no, was at did they employ a physician at the time i forget what the doctor's name was, was the but big it, greek guy probably it, back then well right? i'm just saying like somebody who went to medical school and oh. people who went to nursing yeah, school yeah, and people who went an, to an actual doctor paramedic yeah, school right. and nobody could be like let's look up this no we're just going to from based on what we based on what, what we, we heard and what yeah, we know, yeah. right? Correct. I mean, because obviously, like digging into this thing with the, it'd be so. What were your? I mean, it, it sounds like these stereotypical like things that we'll see in like silly movies and, and shows and stuff. Like that's not necessarily like like the how you presented, right? So with any disease or disorder, there's a spectrum, and there's some people that have minor symptoms, and there's some people that have major symptoms. Mm. Mine were mild to moderate, and they were 100% controlled with medication. Um, and they were very afraid that I was going to say some bad words out there. And like you said, you know, you see Adam Sandler movies. Right. And, you know, what is it, Deuce Bigelow? You know. Right. right. That's a big-ass man. <laughs> and that's what they were kicking you out of the academy based on. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. Had that been how you had presented when you were younger or anything like that? So or? I shook my head. I would have blinking. I would blink my eyes. Okay. I would have twitches and whatnot with a little bit of throat grunting. Um, they kind of experimented with me because they didn't really know what it was back right. in the day. 
So they treated it, treated me with some heavy duty psych, psychotropic medications. Dang, wow. So I walked around kind of zombie, a as zombie a kid. for yeah. a while. Oh, yeah, it was sucks. it was not fun. Um, heavy duty medications. Wow. Until they figured out to, they put me on Haldol. And we all know what Haldol is, right? Mm-hmm. It's the medication when you're watching the ER show and the patient freaks out. They stab <laughs> you in the right. shoulder. That's the Haldol. agitated patient. Correct. Yeah. So... They found out that when they were giving Haldol to these um, patients that were in psychoses, that they had less ticks. So they started giving Haldol at a lower dose to Tourette's patients, and they noticed that they weren't zomped out and they had less ticks. So I started on that, and everything was uh, copacetic after that. Is, that. is that hereditary? It is. It is. My uh, son uh, has Tourette's as well. Um, he was, well, they called it at the, so when I went, when I was diagnosed with Tourette's, they threw all the medications at me. They threw them all and they said, here, try this, here, try this, here, try this. But when my son started presenting with ticks, um, we went to a neurologist and the neuro- neurologist basically said, um, my son's name is Logan. And he, he said, Logan, do you have any problems uh, physically with it? And he said, no. He said, do you have any problems socially with it? He said, no. He said, okay. Mom and dad, he's okay with it. So you have to be okay with it. So it was a completely different approach to it. And it was really nice. It was, was that uh, acceptable? Because Logan's parents are a nurse, <laughs> yes. now a counselor, but a paramedic as well. So was that acceptable to you that they were just like, if he's go- good with it, you guys got to be good with it? Because we are, are the worst patients ever, right? Correct. We loved it. We absolutely loved it. We thought it was, um, I didn't necessarily want him to be on medications. It was a little little bit hard at first because we wanted his pain to go away. And it wasn't really pain, but in the, the normal sense. But we felt he was, you know, when he ticked, you know, in our own mind, we're thinking that he's suffering a little bit of pain. I struggled a lot throughout the years, uh, almost to the the fact that I gave him the Tourette's, you know, because it is hereditary yeah. in males. It's um, handed down. Um, so I Any, struggled anything with Anything before you in your family? My father has ticks. I do believe he was diagnosed with Tourette's. My uncle and my grandfather on my paternal side all had so ticks. So it's strong in the Baghdad family. Yeah, yeah, it really <laughs> is. It really is. Um, but what was interesting was when I was in fifth grade, my um, parents put me up in front of my school, and I showed this antiquated video called uh, Stop It, I Can't. And um, it was, you know, real to real. Yeah, and one of those old yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. I'm old. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it. And um, then there was a Q and A with these kids, fifth grade, and I felt like an outcast. So I really struggled with my mental health at that point. Um, I felt like the outcast. I've, you know, basically putting me on the on alert. Hey, this kid is different than everybody else. So I struggled with that very much. So. Sounds like even at that age, though, you were trying to advocate for, for what was going on, though. Um, I do believe that point. that's what my parents. My parents had the best of intentions, yeah. uh, in in educating because they wanted the kids to not 
to, to understand what I was going through. So they put me up on that stage. Unfortunately, it had a reverse effect, and it's not to their issue. Right. It was more of just kids being kids. It's a hard age. So I um, was kind of chastised, but I went through the mental health system, and I saw a psychiatrist, and I saw a psychologist. Um, Which was print beer back in the 90s, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. Um, and then um, I hit high school, and I really didn't really have that many friends, if any. And I remember my mom saying to me, you just have to find one friend. And I found someone that gave me a tab of LSD. <laughs> <laughs> and here we you go. You found the best friend ever. It's, it's very the similar two how best I met, friends that anybody It's very similar <laughs> how I met Steve, actually. So I took the LSD even before marijuana. And um, I was welcomed into the fold. And how, how old were you? When you, like freshman in high school? Yeah, freshman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a good experimental time, I suppose. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So um, I was kind of welcomed into the fold of, of marijuana and, and illicit drugs. Sure. And um, I, def- I I followed the Grateful Dead. I followed sure. Fish. I, I <laughs> tried to find myself. Um, after years of doing that, of uh, disappointing my parents, and are you going to find a job? Are you going to do something? I turned to my father and my father basically said, you know, I've lost all hope for you. And my father, I hold very high regard and it kind of knocked me down a couple notches, if not to the bottom. And cause I wasn't really doing anything at the time. So, um, I had a friend that was talking about, you know, at the time we were hanging out at uh, Denny's restaurant cause what's open at 24 hours, Denny's. And you're in the suburbs, where do you go? So we were hanging out, and a friend was talking about the fire service. And he was talking about taking classes and being in the fire service. And I said, wow, one of us is in the fire service. Like, we made it. That's awesome. And every day I would talk to him about the fire service. And he'd tell me about the classes. And i said, you don't need college? You don't need No, no, I just took the test, and that was it. You know, I, I, I signed up, and I, I, I passed, and I got hired. So I said, I want to be a firefighter. So I marched over to the Buffalo Grove Fire Department and I had, I, it's a funny story because at the time I was wearing overalls, <laughs> Birkenstocks. I had a full beard. It doesn't look like I have it now, but I had a full head of hair. Yeah, but you, you look like all the kids at Buffalo Grove High School now. So. Correct. <laughs> correct. Correct. It's all come back right. full circle. Yes. So um, you went there dressed as Dixie Midnight Runners. Okay, yes. gotcha, gotcha. Nice. That's a good one. Come go. on, Eileen. Deep cut, man. That is a deep cut. Had my dad not been hired on the fire department, I would have been a Buffalo Grove Bison. Nice. Myself. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Right on. So, um, so I marched over to the Buffalo Grove Fire Department, and they looked, took one look at me, and they said, go to Long Grove. Because Long Grove was a volunteer fire department. Uh, yeah, we, you're going to fit in You're going to fit in just fine. So I went over to Long Grove. They took a chance on me. And uh, I, they said, cut your hair, shave your beard, and we'll put you in the academy. And I started there in 1996. Um, wow. Yeah. A couple years out of high school then at that point? I, I graduated in 92. Okay. So oh. I was, yeah, four years of a, a wild trade. 
wild, strange trip it's been. Did you get any fires while you were in Long Grove? They talk, you know how we talk about our fires. They talk about a their fire. <laughs> were so, you were you at the fire? I was the, at the Long the Grove fire. fire. The, yeah, <laughs> they would usually have one a year when I was there. I I think they have mutual aid now, so they're able to go to uh, other fires. From what I can remember, Long Grove is like a rich suburb. Correct. Right? Correct. It, was it very. a rich suburb back when? You oh were yeah. There? Yeah. Oh yeah. Very it was rich. Very rich. And it didn't. They didn't have their own department. So they did have their own department. Um, and everything is sprinkled. Oh. So everything is sprinkled. So it stops the fire. Also, it was, it was um, you'd have to draft from a pond. There was no <laughs> municipal water supply, which was a unique thing. So they did tanker shuttles. Um, the more money you get. What about uh, EMS? Did you guys do EMS response there? Yeah, so I became a paramedic right away. So my education was really quick. In January of... I'm sorry, July of 96, I went to the Arlington Heights Fire Academy. And then by um, August of 96, I was in EMT school. And in January, I was in paramedic school. That, uh, that Arlington Heights Fire Academy was a big, like everybody was, went there back yeah, in the everybody day. went there. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think that's... There was no other game in town back then. Yeah, I think you're right. So I still set my sights higher, and I said I I really want to I want to either get on flight for life and stay in Long Grove, or I want to be on the city, and that's when I think in was it two ninety eight when the medic uh, list opened up, and I said you know what I'm going to put my name on the list, and I got called right away having the number nine in the oh. in the social security <laughs> that helped. Oh. So yeah. Now, I, I want to go back because I, I had a question when you were in your uh, drug phase with your Tourette's, did that, did the LSD or the marijuana, did that have any effect on you as far as your Tourette's? It's really interesting because now I've learned being a mental health professional that uh, marijuana stops the, um, so if you're on certain medications, it'll almost counteract it. Really? Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Okay. It depends on the drug. I'm not going to specifically say certain ones, but... um. So but in your case? In my case, it, it counteracted it, and my ticks came back. Really? Yes. From from the marijuana? From the marijuana. Wow. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. Dang. Okay. So. All right. So I didn't mean to backtrack. So no, you you go to the city, and that's when you get kicked out. So, yeah, so we did a little Tarantino thing. There, yeah, I love, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> this is for entertainment. This is the Jackie Brown of yeah. podcasts. <laughs> Jackie Brown. Um, Another deep cut. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm on fire. I'm thinking about the twist at the end. We're going to tell everybody that oh, yeah, we've been on the LSD. The prestige. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, we dosed you. <laughs> what was it? Here's a deep cut. Jacob's Ladder. Yes. Oh. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Timothy, uh, uh, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Yeah. So what was the question? I don't know. Okay. So I'm, I'm drunk. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you were getting kicked no, yeah, out of the academy. Yeah. yeah. So that brought us back. So to getting kicked out of the academy. So they kicked you out. You went to medical. They told you why they're kicking you out. How do you overcome that? Because obviously you spent 22 years on the city so far. So how did you overcome that? So 
so I went back to, I went to medical. I had to go back to my Long Grove job. I was blessed that they took me in. So you just accepted it and was like, I guess this wasn't for oh, me. Oh, there was a lot of steering wheel hitting and ugly crying on the way out yeah. of the academy and frustration, and anger, and grief. Um, it was it was not pretty. <laughs> sure, but, I mean, fuck it. That, that would be horrible to let you walk through the door and then call you out day one and walk you out. For sure. That's got to be... The, With the, minimal information. Too. Minimal information. Like yeah. I said, I thought I had cancer. Yeah. So, yeah, no idea. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was not feeling good, but I made it a mission to get back. That was my, in my head, uh, to get back through those doors. Anybody tell you to lawyer up and everybody did. Yeah. Everybody did. Hey, I'm Jewish. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I got all the necessary paperwork that I needed and I brought it back and they said, okay, you're coming back to the next class. So I, I went in August 1st, 2001. They just needed to be satisfied that you could be controlled with medication? I think they wanted paperwork. I think they wanted a paper Just to absolve trail. themselves. Correct. If, if you so, should fucking go So crazy. they could say, uh, this, this he told me he was good, this, yeah. right? Because we know that we're reactive on the fire department. 100%. Yeah. So I... And how long was that from the time you get kicked out to the time you come back? Four months. Oh, that was it? Okay. Yeah, it was four or five months. Okay. I think the last class, it was either March or So those or guys were getting out and you're going into the very next class pretty much on their heels, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So um, went in August 1st, 2001, and then you obviously know what happened uh, a couple months later. Um, I was... Yeah, the towers fell. And we were in the academy. Um, I remember Chief, do you remember Chief Martin? No. No, Chief Martin uh, was going to teach high-rise incident command that day. Jeez. Oh, Isn't that ironic? That is ironic. And he pulled in that TV, you know, that was strapped to the... Like ratchet strapped to the yeah, rat, little cart. The, yeah. the cart. And he pulls it in and we see the fire in one of the buildings. And... So you guys were watching it. Like As it unfolded. Unfold, yeah. In class. Correct. And then we saw the second. We we didn't know what it was. We thought it was just a fire. And then the second tower got hit. And Chief Martin turned to us and said, if you don't mind, I'm going to turn it off right now. I think I just lost a whole bunch of friends. And we all. that's when I looked at myself. I said, oh, my gosh, that could have been us, you know, that friends that's what we do and it kind of hit me and i said this is really what i want to do this is powerful so but they mark you're 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 in the paramedic academy but even from then you already had aspirations of crossing over from from there or were you taking a deep dive into being a paramedic then? no my ultimate goal was to be a firefighter okay if it didn't pan out i would have been okay with it and um, been the best paramedic that I could have been. But my ultimate intentions was to be a firefighter paramedic. And 22 years later, I'm not, I still haven't dropped, dropped my paramedic. I have no intention of doing that. So very proud to be a paramedic. So anyway, um, I, uh, they marched us down to the Quinn because we were at Fire Academy South. And Chief Chikorotis kind of briefed us. He was like... Uh, 
Newt Rackney. He's like, take a knee, boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, coach, put, put me in. We're going to win one for the Gipper. You know, and uh, he told us that there was a plane that was on its way to Chicago to hit the Sears Tower. It'll always be the Sears Tower to me. Yeah. And so he asked who is a firefighter and from the suburbs, and we raised our hand. And he said, you're going to load the spare engines with hose and the paramedics are going to stock the ambulances. And we did that in full view of the Sears Tower. And it was it was crazy. So so you guys were just prepping for what you thought was going to happen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's crazy. For sure. Fuck. So um, I'd like to, if you don't mind, I want to bring you yeah, back do it. a couple years. Yeah. Um, in... Uh, August 9th, 2010, uh, Chris Wheatley died. He was in Greektown. He was on truck two, and he uh, fell from the, the, the building, the restaurant, and he passed away. And we all came on together at that time. There was, there was a bunch of us, and we all, they were hiring like crazy. And we all were all grieving, and nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew how to handle their grief. So... Like you said, my wife was, she was the EMS coordinator of the Mount, Mount Sinai uh, Hospital. Um, and so everybody knew her. Uh, she was definitely in the mix with everybody. And we had friends that came over to our, our house and they said, we don't know how to deal with this. And um, so we, we cried, we laughed, we told stories. And eventually more people came and we talked more about the grief that Chris was, was gone. So shortly thereafter, I turned to my wife and I said, you know what, I think there's a need on the fire department for counseling. I think we need help. I think we need uh, an avenue to go to where we can, we can get that help. So I went to, um, I didn't have anything. I had like three years, three semesters at Illinois State and. Like you said earlier, uh, Steve, I, I spent time at the Cypress Hill concert at Redbird <laughs> Arena. <laughs> I didn't get on stage like you did. Though. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> but I um, went to Penn State in the Alliance. You did go. you? I did. <laughs> and um, it was an online program. Um, but I walked the stage. I made sure of it. And almost fell at the bottom <laughs> when I was on. The guy caught me and he goes, not here, not now, buddy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I took the summer off and then I went to uh, Concordia and got my master's and began the trek to, to help our first responders. But did you want to get into that because of everything that happened to you when you were younger? Most clinicians get into the business because of their own their past, something, right? their past adversity, correct? Um, whatever that may be, um, I definitely feel that my adversity growing up made me an empath. Um, I see, I like if you're hurting, I'm hurting. If you're suffering with something, I'm suffering with something. And I've always been that type of person to to take it on. Um, and yeah, so I guess it did shape me. We want to uh, thank Chicago EMT Training 
located at 2054 West Cermak. They were they were amazing with this EMT scholarship that we handed out. Congratulations officially to Kirby, who uh, was the recipient of our first uh, scholarship to EMT school with Chicago EMT training. They're going to be the summer applications are uh, going on right now for March 6th. Classes run mid-May to late August, and they'll meet twice a week and uh, four times every other week. Uh, half of it's online, half of it's in person. Chicago EMT training. How cool is that, Ben? Would you? So what? What made you? You're the guy. You're the guy. I what am the guy. You, what made you uh, scoop out Kirby? Uh, how she did I make like a sweetheart? How, yeah. did, how did she, uh, of, she? Of all the essays that you read, hers was very compelling and emotional. Yeah, a lot of the applications we got were were amazing as well, but the the passion in the paragraph that she wrote to us, uh, wanting to do this, a lot had to do with her grandfather, who she's actually named after. So yeah. it was. I read that one. Yeah, I was like, sure. I, yeah, we we have a winner here. Steve and says you're soft. Yeah, I don't believe it. No, I no, want no. He <laughs> he doesn't know anything. Oh, Speaking shit. of soft, Chicago EMT training. The number is 773-823-1354. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chicago EMT. You were a member of the fire department. What, for other members who are on our department, what are the avenues for somebody officially if they have an issue right now? Because it's, it, it's, it's limited. So there is a, a peer support team. I don't know how often it's used. But within the department itself. So there's EAP. So there's IMAP, which I believe is Local 2's uh, grassroots version of, of mental health help. Um, I don't believe there's any clinicians that are on board with them. Um, but they and, do. And EAP is one person. It's right? and two, she's got, two people now. But that's... It's one person with a, a staff member. Correct. Right? Correct. Of a department of what, roughly 5,000-ish, Correct. Right? Correct. I mean, we need more. Yeah. CBD recognizes that there's an issue. Um, they have definitely scaffolded their clinicians. I think they have over 12 now, but they have a bigger department than we do. But we need... we. I feel that we need, I, I definitely have a plan on how we would do a peer support program on the CFD, but I don't, I think it falls on deaf ears. So I open up my practice. I'm a part of a group practice called, can I say it? 100%. Counseling center, counseling center of Arlington Heights. And, um, and that's open for anybody who's having an issue, right? They can that's correct. contact you and get hold of you. How do they do that? So, um, they can contact me at 847-616-1656 or um, you can, uh, yeah. Maybe you, check the website. Yeah, check do. the website. Okay. What's, what's yeah. that? How do, they, how do they search for you on the, um, on the internet? I mean, just type in that counselingcenterofarlingtonheights.org. Okay. And our, our clinician, our website will pop up. Okay. So we have we we have um, clinicians that handle everybody, not just first responders. I personally handle first responders. Um, I have an intern right now, and we're growing immensely. 
there's such a need for for clinicians that service first responders. And what, Greg, what is your, what path did you go down um, in terms of, of mental health? Like where, what are your, I guess your credentials rather? Like what are your, um, uh, like, do you spend, yeah. You yeah, so <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, I, I went, so I'm a master's level clinician. Okay. Um, really in order to practice in private practice, you have to be at minimum of a, of a master's level clinician. Okay. So I am what's called the licensed professional counselor, which is, you know, the fancy, uh, alphabet soup says LPC at the end of my name. Okay. Um, so then there is, uh, after two years of supervision, then I can retake a test and then I'll become what's called an LCPC, which is a licensed clinical professional counselor, but it's very much the same level as what a social worker will do. I was just going to say, like, as it relates to, like, uh, social work and therapy and um, psychiatrists and, and so all let, those, like, where would you fall in that? Yeah, so let me break that down for you. And I do mention this in my book, is that there the, the minimum is a master's level clinician, and that's a social worker or a counselor, and they do um, individual counseling or couples counseling. There's also ancillary um certificate, uh, uh, certificates, which is, um, or licensure, I should say. And there's LMFT, which is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Those are all master's level. And then there is the doctoral level, which is a psychologist. So everybody says, you're a psychiatrist, doctor. No, psychiatrist is the highest level. And that's actually a medical doctor and they can prescribe. The psychologist is a doctoral level and they do advanced assessments as well as individual counseling which like again at that level you're not going to get someone with with the with the background and actual life experience that you would because that person went to school like they they got out of high school going to school to become doctors whereas like you've got that's where you've got that background that could really help us out that like you are an active duty fireman you had a whole career before getting into this it seems like and that's where My situation is very unique, um, but there is a growing, the profession for first responder wellness is, is growing and Mm -hmm. it's, it's the, the tentacles are getting out there and it's, it's helping people. I don't mean to use a negative term tentacles, but the web is, is growing. And I think after nine 11, I think people started realizing that we need help. We need help. We, uh, as firefighters and paramedics and police officers, all... Uh, well, we're losing CPD at a ridiculous rate right now. CPD is... Lo- lo- we're losing a lot, but we're also losing firefighters as well. Um, there's uh, Jeff Dill from the FBHA, Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. He was a Palatine Rural Firefighter, and then he went out west to be uh, in charge of this. He started... Uh, cataloging suicides for firefighters and he recently put on his website that eight firefighters have died by suicide in 2013 eight i mean what in 2023 yeah did i say 2022 you said 2013 oh sorry 2023 we couldn't even we wouldn't even know what the numbers were in 2030 because we were not categorizing right so he's actually you know cataloging them which is it's a good thing but it's also a bad thing 
that we're losing so many. Well, and and it feels like, oh, go ahead, Core. I was just going to say, like, and it feels like since COVID, mental health has really been been brought more and more often um, since COVID had started, just because people are, you know, working different capacities and having issues. But yeah, for, I mean, I make this analogy all the time. Like, no one. No one was calling public works. No one was calling the, the police department. No, no one was calling anybody else but the fire department when they had issues with COVID. It was only the fire department. They would call and say, I've got COVID or I've got this. And that took their toll. I mean, again, just us, just like everyone else, it seems like call volumes up everywhere. And that's not, you know, it, it, it seems like it's only a trickle-down effect to us. For sure, for sure. And I do have to add that um, I was hospitalized with covid for seven oh, days. that's right, yeah. Yeah, so I we I was at Engine 43 at the time. Um, Did, was this early? This was January of, of 2020. Okay. So we were pulling out, you know, we were wearing the tech suits yeah, you or were, whatever. That was like smack in the middle of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they, what did they say? It's it's uh, COVID-19, but it really started hitting us in America in 2020. So I was, I woke up in the middle of the night in my, in the bunk room and I was coughing and I always get a little bit of coughing and I used to get bronchitis a lot when I used to smoke cigarettes, but I'm like, Oh, maybe it's just that. And I, um, came downstairs, I put my mask on and I mean, I don't think that we had masks in the, in the firehouse at that time. But I think I just put one on, and were you, you weren't an engineer yet. Were you? I was a firefighter paramedic. Okay, you hadn't got promoted yet. Correct. Okay, so I, I I went to the testing facility that morning. I told my wife, I said, "Hey, I'm going to go get tested." And she said, "Quarantine yourself." So we went. I went into my room, our room, and my wife slept on the couch, and I stayed there for seven days. On the and my kids would bring food, and I, I was really sick. I kind of waxed and waned. And then on the eighth day, she came in to check on me, and I was in the in the closet kind of bumping into the wall, kind of just hypoxic. And I Oh, shit. And she said, I'm calling an ambulance. So she called the ambulance. I went to the hospital, and I bought. Did you know the medic who got you? I do. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah, I really appreciate that they, they took the time to take me. Um, cause you know, we don't call, Yeah, we, we don't call, but when nurse Susie says <laughs> her husband's hypoxic, she, we need an ambulance that then you really need an ambulance. Hell yeah. So I went to the ER and they brought me up to the room and it was bad. I was, I mean, I was, they didn't, every time the doctor came in, I'd say what was going on and they'd say, I don't know uh, what do you, they, you know, they had no, nothing to say about it. So uh, after eight days, I was finally released on home oxygen, and I went right back to work. There was I went right into counseling people. Everybody was afraid to all the clinicians. A lot of clinicians went to telehealth. So do you know what is do you know what telehealth yeah. is? Yeah. Okay. So that's where you, we see through the the video Zoom or what whatnot. And I went in. I'm like, hey, I'm invincible. I got it. <laughs> right. I, I'm good. So I, and people wanted to see me in person. Firefighters and paramedics don't generally like Zoom or telehealth. We like to be in front of you and a live audience. So we set up shop and I saw people. 
and it was good. And it grew and grew and grew. What are you seeing the most from people who are visiting? Like, what is the common complaint, if, if that's how you categorize it? Like, what are they coming to you specifically for? So the number one thing people come to me is they'll say, I feel angry. I don't know why, but I'm really angry right now. And that's a red flag, right? 100%. 100%. Because anger in, in our world, in the clinic, clinical world, is a secondary emotion. And what that means is that uh, there's a, an emotion that, that supersedes that. And that emotion is fear. So when they're telling me that they're angry, they're really what we break it down to is that they're afraid of something. Um, and what, what, it, what do you find in this, that, that common fear? Well, it differs per person for sure. But there's nothing like in our, in our peer group, there's, nothing, there's no commonality to what people are constantly coming to you for? Um, so I do see a lot of PTSD and ASD, which is uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and acute stress disorder. And um, just from everyday working? Yeah, the, yeah, the, for sure. The constant piling on of everything. So firefighters and paramedics are really good at compartmentalizing. So we'll go on one run and it'll be very traumatic and they'll just push it down. They'll push it down and they'll go to the next run and they'll say and they'll deal with that. And that might be a traumatic experience and then they'll just push it down. So they eventually have to deal with it they have to deal with their emotions and they never do so once they it it comes out and it rears its ugly head it'll come out with anger or frustration or substance abuse uh hitting the bottle or drugs or sex addiction or gambling or any other high-risk behavior and the reason why we do that is our culture is we are surrounded by alcohol in, our, in the fire service. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because I think it actually is, can be beneficial with the camaraderie. Um, but we are bombarded with it. We have um, a suspension party. It's at a bar. We have uh, promotion a promotion party. party it's yeah. at a bar. Everything is at the bar. But like, what if Vince, what if you and I went on a run and we took care of a, a child that passed away and you just, you have a young child at home and it really affected you. We might as a company, you know, I might see you and I say, Hey, let's go to the bar, which it could be a good thing, right? Yeah. You know, you go to the bar, you talk about it. You're, you, you're more apt to talk openly about how you're really feeling. Correct. But let's say, let's say the four of us went to that we're on a fire company and we go to the bar and you talk about it, we all talk about it, and you're okay with it, and you're okay with it. And Steve says in his head, he's like, man, I'm not okay with it. He and doesn't want to because he doesn't want to be the odd guy out. And he, correct. He comes back to the firehouse, and everybody's feeling great, and we're smoking cigars 15 feet from the door. Of course. And, <laughs> and, um, that's why we all got the, that's why we got all the office chairs. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Get your ass in the office chair and you scoot 15, 15 feet away feet from the door and correct. you're good to go. So Steve comes back and he's not, like you said, he's not going to say, Hey, I'm still feeling bummed about that. He's going to deal with it his own way. And what's the way we know 
So he's going to hit the bottle or he's going to do something maladaptive is what we call it. What can we do as a company if you're maybe you're the bar boss or company officer, what can we do at that level to facilitate that Steve character to be comfortable letting the rest of the guys know that he's not okay? So my goal as a clinician, so it's funny, I do have to tell you real quick, is when I'm at the firehouse, I'm a fireman. I'm a paramedic. And I wear that hat. And my, my, there's a guy in my company, we laugh, because I'll say something off color, because I'm a fireman, right? You know, we were allowed to joke around and, and make off-color jokes, and he'll say, man, you're a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll say, no, I'm firefighter Greg right now, and I wear that hat. And that's important for people to understand that. You know, we have different parts of ourselves. When you go home to your family, you're a different person than you're at the firehouse. You're a different person here in the studio than you are maybe uh, at the gas station. So we all have those different parts. Um, so I forgot what you were asking. <laughs> no, uh, how do you, we help facilitate someone who wouldn't speak out in that situation where everybody else is fine? but he's not. How do we make it okay for him to tell us so that, that he needs help or correct. he wants to talk about it? So that's the goal is to um, normal. So my, my, my goal as a counselor and as a firefighter paramedic is to normalize and take away the stigma for counseling. So you as a, as a coworker of Steve might say, hey, that really sucks. I, I know what you're going through but you need help. And by normalizing counseling, it's going to help because he's going to, you're going to say, maybe you go to counseling and you say, Hey, I go to counseling. I go to this guy, Greg, he's a really good guy. All we do is talk for a week or once a week and it gets it out and I feel a lot better. So that's the next step. So for years, we've been working on awareness. Awareness tells us that the company officer needs to address a situation, but how do you address it? The next step is to, to have a solution. And that solution is, is to see, seek therapy. Greg, how do you feel about these, um, again, because mental health awareness is becoming more and more prevalent, uh, a lot of these different fire departments, I'm not sure if the city does it too, but after a traumatic event, um, after some type of traumatic event, a lot of these fire departments are actually hiring uh, firms to come in and kind of debrief with their fire departments for like a week after the event, let's say. Like, have you, have you heard of this or, or dealt with this? Yeah, so it's called CISD, yeah. and it's a model that was made by a, a firefighter that became a, a PhD. I, his name escapes me, but he, so it's critical incident stress debriefing. And basically, what happens is they get all the firefighters and paramedics to sit around the table excuse me, and um, talk about the situation and get it a lot. One of the things I use in, in my counseling practice is get, getting it from your head space to your mouth space. So basically, if you can get that, whatever's swimming around in your head out, out of your mouth and talk about it, it's going to make you feel better and you're going to get it out there. Um, and in critical incident stress debriefing, that's what they do. It's a really good thing. As I was say, do you feel like that's a pretty good model for us moving forward or well I, I can tell you from experience that that actually um the small town you guys know where i used to work on the contract 
one of the first runs that I had over there was a pediatric traumatic arrest and didn't think much of it. It was, you know, it sucked, of course. But a couple of days later, they did one of those for me. Nobody said anything. I just showed up at work one day and there was a group of guys in the conference room. <clears throat> I think it was like four city guys and a, sub, a suburban guy. And they didn't like sit me down and say, hey, start talking about these guys didn't even sit down at the table. They were just like, hey, we're here because if you need to talk to about anything, we're here. We're just here. We're going to have a cup of coffee and hang out here. If you don't want to say anything, we're cool with that, too. And they went about having their coffee. Then they would sit down there just bullshitting with each other. And eventually, like, I sat down, and they're like, hey, you know, um, you know, we heard you had a, a pretty shitty run. And I was like, yeah, you know, it, it kind of sucked. Didn't, didn't think much of it until I started talking about it. And I wasn't pushed or anything like that. These guys just sat there, and they just listened. And I thought that was the coolest thing, and that, that helped me a lot because – I didn't realize that how much it had bothered me until these. I sat down and started talking, talking my way through this. The other day, uh, it was Halloween, actually. We had a run that was a plan one, and um, it was, I think, 107 was, were you there at the Polk and Harrison? No. At that shooting? I, I know exactly which one you're talking about, right so, by the firehouse. Yeah, so there was a, uh, I'm sorry, Polk in California. Yeah, and literally right by the firehouse. Yeah, yes. So basically, the it was Halloween, and there was a Halloween party of kids that just got out, and there was a drive-by, and I believe the there were ten people that got shot, and I think it was ambulance thirty-three and one hundred seven. They called the plan one, and um, I think Chris Sergil said, "You're going to need a plan two, I'm not, you know, right away." So yeah, but he was on a trade. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, he, he traded to be there that oh, day. Okay. So he got well, the short end of the stick. Right. Yeah. Well, good for him for, for having the know-how. So it turned out to be over 10, 10 people shot. And I was the first ALS. I was on, I'm on engine 26 now. And I was the, we were the first ALS engine on the scene. And I just dropped lines in everybody. I, one by one by one, I just went down and just dropped lines in everybody and a couple shifts after that, I was kind of, my head was swimming. Now, you know, here I am, I'm supposed to help everybody. I'm supposed to be the, the shoulder to lean on. And I was, my head was just not in the right space. And I turned to my wife and I said, I think I, I, think I have too many clients. And she said, why? And I said, because my head's just not right. And she said, that it shouldn't be that shouldn't be the case. And it, it twisted my head and I said, okay, well maybe that's not it. And I turned to my director and my director said, let's, well, let's talk about what happened. And I talked about the last week and I said, well, there was a shooting and then this and that. She said, well, stop there. Did you ever process the shooting? In counseling, we use the term process and basically it's just to talk about it and kind of flesh it out. And I said, no, I haven't processed it. And we sat there and we processed it. And I was able to function after that. And I felt a lot better. But what, this was Halloween. Prior to that, you have done and you have been to runs like this 
maybe not to that scale, but definitely plans and shootings with more than one victim. I know 100% you've been on these runs. I've been on a couple runs with you. So why was this one so hard for you to process? So the interesting thing, interesting thing about um, trauma is it can hit anyone at any time, anywhere, and there's no reason behind it. And there's no measurable way to figure out what's going on or this is going to be the one that's going to affect me. Um, sometimes there's... So a, we can never get ahead of it? You can get a, you cannot get ahead of it, but you can, pre, you can prevent it. Well, I, I guess one way to prevent it is to um, do positive things in your life like self-care. So self-care in, in counseling is, is taking care of yourself. That's the nuts and bolts of it. So there's a spiritual aspect of it. There's a physical aspect of it. There's a mental aspect of it, a social aspect of it. That's the model. So these are things that you can do for yourself in your life. Um, so physical aspect would be working out or taking your dog for a walk. Um, spiritual aspect might be go, hanging out in the woods or if you're religious to talk to a, a pastor or a rabbi um, and whatnot. Mental is, is making, your, make sure, making sure your brain is, is sharp and maybe you like crossword puzzles, maybe you like to read. Take and a class. Take a class. And yeah. then social aspect is hang, hang out with good friends and, and talking, you know. Go out to dinner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So self-care, we promote self-care a lot in, in counseling for sure, for sure. I, let's jump off that for a second and, and lighten it up a little bit because I know you were at the fire, uh, the Long Grove fire, but <laughs> like take us to back to when you – like we're a f brand new fireman, your first fire out of the Chicago Fire uh, Academy. What what was that like? So the the first because <laughs> you were already salty from the Long Grove fire. Oh yeah, the fire. <laughs> My wife tells tells the so I'm not going to tell you about the very first fire, but I do have a story about one one of the first fires I had. So I ended up at Engine One Thirteen. So I, when I first came on, the which academy, is a busy firehouse yes yes it's in the south austin neighborhood and we um i was that's, on the, that's where you went right out of the academy no so i went to uh truck 55 uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was they didn't know how to use them yet because they yeah. were an als company and it was it was very slow so i went from a busy ambulance to a really slow truck so i eventually made it back to 113 um as a firefighter paramedic and I remember there was the kitchen was on fire. I was on the hydrant. I was so jazzed up to to get get into that fire. I made that hydrant like it was nothing. I put my pack on and I ran into the building and I followed the hose in. You know, there was smoke charged coming out of the front of the building. And as I followed the hose, I I found the the heel guy right there and he turned to me and now we have our masks on and he says he says hey greg and i'm like yeah what's up bud 
all charged up and he says, can you do me a favor? And I said, what's that? And he says, can you get off of me? You're on my back. <laughs> I was so charged up and ready to go that I ran up to him and I, I, I ended up, on top of I climbed on top of him. I was really got on his shoulders like master blaster. Yes. Master blaster. But just think how salty that guy you were standing on was just to be like, Hey Greg, you stop standing on me hey, hey, <laughs> in the middle of the fire. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That was definitely one of my favorites. So. What about, I kind of want to hear about this long girl fire. Yeah, tell us about the fire. Tell <laughs> the us about fire. the fire, Greg. It was was, it, <laughs> hopefully it was a barn fire. No, it was no. A, It was right before I left, and it was a... Uh, so they have... Those houses are huge. Golf, Any fire in there yeah. would be the fire. Right. They have houses on golf courses, and I think it was Royal Melbourne. I think that's where it was, and the, the golf course over there. And the whole the whole house caught on fire. And there, there's It's just municipal water supply. It's very hard to to manage that just so. just surround and drown pretty much yeah pretty oh. much so you looked at the so you don't fire. you don't, <laughs> you don't like hit a hydrant you you hit the pond <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> so. you, you tap the pond for sure that's the term yeah no <laughs> I, I, maybe i made it up no. <laughs> vince has been tapping the pond I, for I, literally took the words out of my mouth <laughs> yeah. um well, do you guys want to take a minute to regroup for a second? Or yeah, no? yeah. We're going to yeah. take our first break, and when we get back... Uh, Me and Vince are going to chase Steve around with Algol. <laughs> There's three of us. We can hold them down. All right, we're going to take a quick break. The opinions and views are that of Chicago's bravest stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations. Chicago's Bravest Stories is also brought to you by Illuminated Brew Works, located at 6186 North, Northwest Highway, next to the car wash. This place, obviously one of our favorite joints uh you, you guys can make sure to uh find them on their website ibw-chicago.com illuminated brewworks ibw-chicago.com um this place obviously this was one of no this was our first live show right also if you want to try some of these beers they're they're breweries right there literally 20 feet from where you're drinking and if you want to try something, they'll give you a flight. Uh, try a flight of beer and really get a feel for all the beer that they have in that place. And go find your favorite. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, there's not, I, I can't think of any beer off the top of my head that I've gone in there that I've hated. I mean, everything's awesome. Yeah, so. we've crawled out of that place, man. <laughs> we've crawled out of that place. It's so good. And, and we will again soon. Yeah. So, Illuminated Brew Works. <laughs> 